Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. I told my teams, I like, uh, anytime you say frozen, you know, we're going to freeze the design so we can, someone else can, essentially, so someone else can catch up. When it's frozen, you're not moving forward and you've broken all the momentum that your that design team had because they're waiting. They're like, okay, I'm off doing something else while you're, you know, while the engineers are catching up or something. That can't happen on, on these projects. And I never use the word frozen. This is Detailed. An original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voice you heard in our opening was today's guest, Michael Schroeder. Michael is a partner at SGA and spearheads the firm's virtual design and construction arm, which he has led the growth and development of since 2014. Virtual design and construction, or VDC, is an ideal fit for Michael, who loves to discover and invent new technologies that enhance project outcomes. BIM underpins the programs he oversees, but he supplements the virtual world with face-to-face interactions to promote collaboration. You'll hear more on this later, but Michael created and introduced SGA's proprietary dashboard tool in 2021 and continues bringing design and construction teams together to proactively solve the unique challenges facing large developments. Before joining SGA, Michael served as President, CEO, and Principal Implementer at BIMJEP Inc. in Boston for seven years, and also held the role of Director of Design Technology at Moshe Safdie & Associates in Somerville, Massachusetts. A quick reminder, as you listen along, click the link in our show notes to see the project and additional details that we discuss in this episode, or visit www.rcat.com slash podcast. The project we are going to talk about today is the Craft Group Office Project at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. 
Gillette Stadium is a multi-purpose stadium serving as the home stadium and administrative offices for both the NFL's New England Patriots and the MLS's New England Revolution. The latest addition to the stadium is the first phase of a new multi-purpose building designed by SGA for the New England Patriots, International Forest Products, and their parent owners, the Kraft Group. It's interesting, you know, from my perspective, um, I was brought into the project really in in mid-21 or a little bit before in June, probably June 2021. And we had done some work with the craft group prior to this, and they own and manage and the uh, you know, Gillette Stadium and the New England Patriots football team. And they have a quite a, an amazing complex out there. As you can imagine, there's, you know, this is a, this attracts football, but there are also other events that are hosted there at the stadium year round. And they also have many offices and office buildings and retail and commercial all around the stadium. And so uh, we were approached, you know, to expand that, you know, we have a lot of office space that needs to be expanded and as well as a football program and interweave this into this, you know, rather complicated nest of, of circulation paths. And as you can imagine, you know, within a football stadium, there has to be, there's a lot of logistics and utilities and et cetera that we have to navigate. But uh, one of the biggest challenges, of course, is just live action. You have people that are coming in, parking, walking, going to events, and all of these events have to be, you know, managed and within a, we have to work around them, right? We have to work around everything to get this done. So it was a, when I was brought in, I was like, this this is really interesting. And that's, uh, yeah, in order to achieve a project like this, um, we should just definitely look at a BDC approach uh, and a project dashboard, and we should pull this together and get the team together. And they're like, well, yeah, well, let's give some examples of how that works in the past. And we've done this several times very successfully on projects. And then it turned out that when one of the biggest, uh, I think, challenges became apparent pretty early on is when, when they really wanted to open the building, which is, you know, the following year, right? So, okay, we have nothing, and you want to be able to have a building next year. The four-story, 120,000-square-foot facility was designed to work with the stadium's original architecture and interior building flow. Initially, you know, we didn't have much of a notion of what this building would look like at the beginning. But, you know, the stadium has a presence and has a, an aesthetic. And I think we wanted this building not to just be like an, something that was a, appended, like an appendage that was just attached there. And it, it should look like it was built with the, with the rest of the stadium and the office complex. So we knew that from, from the get-go that that context would be very important. And yet, you know, so there's some dominant uh, design elements that had to be reinforced with that. There's a certain horizontality to the existing stadium and office buildings. And we knew we wanted a lot of light within that space. So we, we did need to open that up quite a bit. But we also have very stringent air, you know, energy codes that we had to meet. And so it was a balance between making sure we get enough light and openness and then wrap that up with a really tight envelope to make that work. And there's a the Patriots, famous Patriots blue. It's a banded blue color. We had to incorporate along that ribbon. So you can imagine it's a four-story building with a lot of glass in the front, wrapping it with a cornice uh, of this blue, uh, Patriot blue. And it's just seamlessly integrated. It looks like it was has been there since the, build, since the stadium was built. But it's a very modern building in all respects. So, you know, when I again came into it, it um, you know, everyone comes into a building with a different perspective. And architecture will see it one way and, and designers will 
and the engineers see it another and I look at it as a process really it's like a how can we perfect a process to get this building done maintaining the integrity and capacity of the structure was critical to the overall vision and design of SGA's process especially when accounting for any potential changes that might arise program was a bit a nebulous office space and some unprogrammed space for growth, some football program as well, and circulation, of course. But it grew a little bit and shrank a little bit and grew a little bit throughout the project. Maybe we'll get into this, but throughout the project, it was even you know discussed, oh, maybe we should expand the building. Maybe we should add some floors, right? <laughs> and uh, so imagine having a project, you're going to actually design a build within a year and you're going to have to, you're still discussing how many floors it might be. With just six months Yes, I said six months to complete the build and have it operational by the start of the 2022 NFL season. This ultra speed to market project required vigilant planning and foresight from the very beginning. So that was clearly going to be a driver of all of our processes, right? And in past, you know, our experiences have led us to, to understand how we can sort of squeeze out the waste. Nice project process, you know, delivery. There are many wastes within this sort of traditional one step after another step after another step, right. all by a pause while we do some thing. Well, one one group will do some something. Let's mm-hmm. say cost estimation or something. Everybody else will wait. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you end up stacking and stacking and stacking. It's later, later, and later. There's no way this is going to get shorter. It's just going to get later and later. There's no way to compress that. So... Or take out the floats, you know, and the schedules. You know, so we have a experience in figuring out how to overlap, how to get this team parallelized. So it's not serial. This is parallel. Everybody works together and we push forward. And uh, of course you have to, you, you can't put the, the cart in front of the horse, right? But when the horse starts walking, the cart's moving at the same time. Okay. He doesn't leave it behind. <laughs> so yeah. So in, in our process, it's like, okay, let's, let's figure out the best way for this, for this particular project, you know, to get the team uh, moving forward very, very quickly so we can get to a design that everybody loves and get to a design that everybody can build and get to a design that, you know, everybody can pr- procure before that, of course. Right. And occupy on, you know, in, in the August of the following year when the Patriots take the field, right? So it's it quite a challenge. Looking at this project, we realized that, you know, this is a non, had to be non-traditional. Right? In a traditional project, you can have an A team get together with the owner, with the site program, we'll concept, we'll schematic this out. You go through a process. Right. We knew from the get-go this had to be a integrated team. So we, we knew we had to bring the construction team in early and we had to get subcontractors in and bought in early. And without that, this was just not going to happen. On top of everything, of course, we're coming out of this long lead time issue. You know, we had a lot of delays. We didn't fully understand the steel, you know, how much steel was available at that time. There were a lot of companies that were stockpiling, pre-buying and buying steel and make, taking it off the market, essentially. Yeah. So we're, we're like, okay, let's, you know, let's make sure we design certain things so we, we can use standards, standard shapes and sizes and let's strategies early on. But also get involved with you know the team, they integrate that team. So we had about sixty people all together early on in the project team, where when we did our first, uh, I call it an ESP session, execution success planning session, get everybody together in the room and say, this is going to be a little different. Actually, it's going to be a lot different, but it's going to be fun because <laughs> you're all involved and we're all here to have fun and do the best work we can possibly do, and that's what we do at our ESP sessions. 
Now, don't forget, this project had only six months to design enough of the building to begin construction. The contractor then had just six months to complete the construction, an incredible undertaking. Project delivery methods can have significant impact on a project schedule. Michael has a unique approach to what he describes as continuous delivery. There have been amazing past projects that have been done on very tight schedules, and you know, fast track, different ways to do that. And I don't look to any particular model and say, this is what we're going to apply. I would rather look at the project and the process and say, let's implement a process that makes sense for this type of project. And for this process, for instance, it made sense for us to do something called, I like to call it continuous delivery. Okay. We are just designing and delivering, designing, delivering, designing, delivering. We're not just going to get hung up on packages. Done. Right. Like frozen. Right. I told my teams, I like a... Anytime you say frozen, you know, we're going to freeze the design so we can, someone else can, essentially so someone else can catch up. When it's frozen, you're not moving forward right. and you've broken all the momentum that your that design team had because they're waiting. They're like, okay, I'm off doing something else while you're, you know, while the engineers are catching up or something. That can't happen on, on these projects. And I never use the word frozen. I really, 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 really love that term continuous delivery because it it basically instead of trying to fit your project into this box of fast track or design bid build or integrated project delivery what you're doing it sounds to me like is customizing your delivery and your scheduling for the project based on the individuality of this project and this owner and the needs of this project rather than trying to shove those needs into a traditional process. I love that. I love that, getting outside the box and how can we make this happen? People get so compartmentalized in, okay, if we're doing fast track, well, we have to do three packages. You know, and do you have to? <laughs> Are there some changes you can make to that? So that's, that's great. I think that's my favorite thing so far. I've got to remember that. Continuous delivery. To aid in this unbelievable effort, the firm employed its virtual design and construction practice, utilizing its proprietary SGA dashboard technology to drastically cut down the delivery time, which would otherwise take two years. This proprietary platform bridges the gap between design and construction before the project even begins. You know, a dashboard, we're probably all familiar with dashboards and a lot of tools have dashboards now or the dashboard in your car, you know, it's there to tell you what, give you information about relevant, like what's relevant instantly, like how fast you're going, <laughs> what direction you're headed, maybe if you have compass or, you know, what radio station you're listening to, all of that is right available to you. So you don't have to go far for that information. I mean, it's just projected right up instantly for you to, uh, to understand what it, and do something, take action perhaps. So our dashboard serves a real dual purpose. One is just, you know, it provides a, like a project front door. Many of our projects are large and complicated, and you have people that onboard at various stages. If they come on board, like everybody at the beginning, you go through an onboarding process, and everybody is familiar with what's happening. But what happens when someone comes on the team a little bit later, right? They're just introduced. I'll give you another analogy. Like uh, imagine walking into a restaurant, right? You walk into the restaurant, the front door, you're, you know, you're greeted. They understand maybe you have a reservation. They bring you to your table. You're, you know, the whole experience is curated. Because you're you're there to have dinner, right, and not not to do other things, uh, manage and right. 
But if you just walk through the kitchen, right? Imagine just going to the restaurant and walking through the side door, the back door, next to the trash, through the kitchen, stumbling through there, arguing on your way through. I mean, it would create a completely different experience right, for you. So our dashboards provide that sort of that single point of entry for everyone in the project. And they know that once they're in there, that this is the latest and greatest. This is all of the, the project information that's presented in a way that you can take action on and launches you into different tools and products. And, you know, we have so many different tools we use today to manage projects and to keep everybody synchronized. But our dashboard is a way to just bring it all in one place and simplify a lot of that. That's really, in essence, what the dashboard does. Efficiency is like my superpower. <laughs> I want the shortest path from point A to point B while still doing a really good job. And one of the things that I found challenging is you have all these different, you know, parties to the team for in different offices doing different parts of the project. But that that central hub of communication of what's going on, of what's the latest information does not always work really well, which creates extra work for a lot of people when you find out somebody changed a floor plan. When I worked in MEP engineering, I'd see that all the time. You know, they're putting duct work in and all these different things. And all of a sudden, you find out the architect has completely changed floor plans or ceiling plans and nothing fits anymore. But nobody had a conversation. Does this tool help with those kinds of things? Oh, absolutely. So that you know, uh, was one of the one of the aims of you know designing a tool like this was to we had many actually, but one in particular was to help the streamline that communication process. We understand that design is a dynamic process, right? It's not something where you're just going to say, okay, now we're in. We, we give them nice labels, you know, CDs and you know, schematic design, design development, and as if everything just follows this little linear process. When in, indeed, it's actually many parallel processes that are occurring. And so weaving all those parallel conversations together in ways in which someone two or three lanes over, you know, is making a critical decision that's going to impact you down the road, right? That kind of forks off and those, those decisions will come back to a head at some point, maybe when you open the, the drawings and go, oh my goodness, you know, what, had, what just happened here, right? So at some point in the past, someone made a decision and that decision was implemented, right? And it had to go through lots of layers of communication and, and implemented in paper and sent or, or through a model before you were even able to intercept that down the road in, in its final form, which is too late, right? So right. we're not yet one hive mind, but the idea here is that why, don't, why aren't we? Why don't we have that direct communication between each other? Or at least allow us to tune in to those channels of information so that we can see what's happening and not be left out of the process. So we create these, you know, you know we have a team and then we have a team inside of that team called a cluster, it's little clusters. And those clusters are, the idea is there is that you're not missing anything uh, within that cluster. Everything that might impact you, you'll be able to have access to that information. So, and that includes uh, sharing information about issues, project issues, all project issues. So you can see everything within your cluster, obviously, but everything in other cluster, other folks, other people's clusters as well. And there are moments in the project during the week that we can get people together and, and be efficient about understanding what that what that is so we don't get too far down the road without understanding that something might impact you some of the other ways the development and project team were able to leverage the sga dashboard to advance the overall design and build process include 
providing team members with the project's digital front door and assigning members to their specific cluster teams, establishing the virtual co-location platform to channel communication effectively, establishing an effective collaboration strategy with an ESP session, that's execution success plan, for those involved to establish project goals and determine the COS, conditions of satisfaction. It also allowed the team to keep tabs on important project milestones and to host open stand-up sessions where stakeholders prioritize and address issues to ensure that the project maintained momentum. Well, we're really blessed with this project to have an owner team that knows what they're, they've done work in like this before. I mean, they've, they've done construction work that continually manage that stadium and facility. And so with that, team in place, we were very confident that we could make these decisions in a quick, and they, they understood that, that this was unusual, that this was, there was a real need and a sense of urgency associated with all of our requests. And they were not frivolous in any way. We were just really needing to progress. And the project team and the owner team, is, it is essential that they're involved um, and highly involved. And the decision hierarchy is very, you know, very short. Right? You don't have much of a hierarchy so that decisions can be made. People that are in the room, I call it, or people that are with us in that design phase, and we always have an owner representative and as a part of all of our co-location, we'll talk about that maybe meeting so that we they are empowered to make those decisions. And if they're not, we'll get a really quick turnaround time between getting that decision back to the team. So it's critical, really is. The owner decisions are, are essential because things change and certain assumptions can't be made you know without without some feedback without their buy-in because we cannot get down too far the road and say oh i didn't know that like you mentioned earlier i don't know i, I didn't know that could happen and we'll just go back or we'll, we'll, you know right you know we just don't have time to go back and start over i think that's kind of a, a great piece of advice just to put out in the world is oftentimes in our you know obviously the owner's always involved at some level but usually it's have a meeting, let's talk about all these things, and then everybody goes back to their corners. They work on something for a long time, they make some assumptions, and then they come back to a meeting later, this is what we came up with, and the owner's going, oh, no, that's not really. Whereas had, had you had more communication during that process in between, probably could have cut a lot of that time out in not doing things that they're going to just categorically not be interested in or doesn't fit their vision. And I've always felt like, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of times people would rather the owner just sit over here and let us get our stuff done. But that stuff doesn't always make them happy. And I have found on any of the projects I've typically, typically, there's always exceptions to the rule, but typically that if you're really like in it with the owner, things go so much better and so much more efficiently and so much more quickly. Because you can just do that if you if you have an owner who can make those decisions instead of leaving them out of the loop until you have something to present. So I love that. I was just curious. It's like, okay, what's your secret? I want to know. How, I, I, I want all the secrets on how you you got this whole project done in that time frame. All the secrets. One of our secrets. I'll let some secrets out. Okay. So one of our secrets is we tie these, you know, you're, you're very familiar with our contracts and projects and the way we set up contracts. I set up contracts specifically for between everybody on the project team that they fully read and understand. Everybody on that project team that's doing day-to-day -day work reads it and understands it. 
And part of that contract is a, uh, I call it a set of our, what is our, what will make this project successful, right? And having that written down for the project, right? Making sure that people fully understand that opening this building is part of the, what will make this project successful and whether or not you're going to be held responsible, you know, and, and, and how you're going to hold your team responsible to those goals will be up to, you know, you and the team to figure out, but that you know them right from the get-go and that you're bought in. So getting buy-in and then, so I have during the CSP session, I, I make sure that it's a full day session usually where we get through this understanding. We have to have a breakthrough of understanding what the schedule, what the scope is, what the work is, who the people are, what their responsibilities are, how this is different than a traditional project. Right. And I want to get all that baggage out early. I want I don't want there to be barriers between communication. People are people and project teams are just people who have to communicate with one another. And so we have to elevate that, you know, trust between the design team and the engineer, right? Between that that fabricator and the engineer who are, you know, they all are great in what they do, but if they don't talk immediately, right, if we don't have those con robust conversations right out of the gate, we're going to have trouble. So setting that up, setting a dynamic up in the beginning so that it's comfortable and the, and the project team can express what their real concerns are, mistakes that they don't want to do again on a project, right, voice them right out the beginning. What would you like to do on this project you have never done on another project? What would make this a successful project and how, you know, right now, I want to hear it, you know, from you. And we'll write those things down and we'll have everybody sign it. Everybody signs, signs it and says, yes, this is something we all agree to. And usually those are all, at the beginning of the project, you have an opportunity to do this. It's a sweet time and the, you know, sweet moment there, sweet spot. Right. That you, you have that opportunity to bring the team and the, the leaders of the organizations are usually present, right? They're signing it. And so you have buy-in from the top. If you've listened to our previous episodes that were related to renovations and additions, you know that project teams have to stay vigilant from beginning of the project to the very end to stay ahead of challenges and navigate unforeseen circumstances. And you can imagine that trying to, you know, fit this building in was, was rather difficult. So we wanted to, to get enough square foot as, as to support the program and there's a you know certain egress requirements on, on the stadium and these enormous ramps where you know the people pre-game and, and after the game they'll flood out right and you have to have all these thousands and thousands of people tens of thousands of people are going down these ramps and flooding out and so we're the building is really perched up in behind one of those ramp structures that runs all the way all the way from ground floor well above the building and there's foundation systems underneath that that are, of course, uh, very, very right on where our site needs to be, <laughs> where our building needs to be situated. And, and we have to join up another existing building and the stadium building and sort of engage the circulation at the existing stadium as well as the office building next to it and accommodate all of this circulation that's flowing through these little funnels to make sure people have a nice clear path and easily accessible, you know, space. So a lot of the challenges were, were around just fitting this building in for one properly and, and making sure that we could do what we think we were going to do with it. Um, and simply, you know, when you, when you have foundation systems coming down, 
next to other foundation systems. The first thing I think of in a project like this is underpinning, and that's going to be a problem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that always adds time to schedule and various things. And so we were like looking at, we know we're going to encounter some of these things. So let's start looking. Let's, 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 let's dig some test bits immediately. Let's get some understanding of what's, what's around the space, that, that stadium. We had some as-built drawings, of course, but we, we still needed more information to go off of and utilities, et cetera. And we did a, a pretty thorough utilities inspections as well. And we were discovered some, we always discover things. Yes. Um, and so we did. There's something going to be in your way, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So there we have, you know, uh, what is this line for? We don't know. Why is this electrical line here? We don't know. It shouldn't be there. It was not on the plans. And why is this for a two inch gas line here? Well, I guess it's there for a reason. It's feeding something. So let's go find out what that is. Let's, you know, let's have conversations with the utility company. And then again, something falls, pops into my mind. It's like, okay, we're going to have discussions with the utilities companies. They're not the fastest, right? They don't <laughs> usually turn around really quick. No, really? With the <laughs> <laughs> They're not really jumping to serve you on your project right then and there. They have lots of priorities. And I'm sure, you know, they're, they're all valid in their world. But ours is, we have priorities as well. So we're trying to make sure that everybody, that we're not held back. So we have to create contingencies, alternatives, you know, for how we're going to address this on the fly. So those are all little tiny, you know, the, the million little problems that have to get solved before anything comes out of the ground. The evolving building program also added a level of complexity to both the design and construction of the building. There were a handful. I'll point them out. So one, of, you know, one is clearly, I mentioned this earlier on, is, is that envelope and meeting some of these, you know, the energy codes, ensuring that, you know, we always want our buildings to exceed all the energy, energy codes, minimums and right. Because we really push that in our firm. Uh, sustainability is a big part of what we do. That's a part of that was, you know, we're looking at the how to get this building built quickly and unitized system as opposed to a stick built system. You have it's difficult to get that sort of performance on a on a unitized system. It was real early on that we realized we couldn't meet schedule on a stick built system at all. So we had to go unitized, which is great and bad. I, mean, I love it for assembly, but right. it can be difficult. So for energy and at the same time we had long lead and logistics issues with uh, supply chains. So we couldn't, we didn't know if we were going to have the, uh, the mechanical units that we were thinking we were going to have to be able to support this project. And so at the same time, we're like, okay, we have kind of a mystery on the mechanical side. We have a mystery on the envelope side. And we know we have to meet these very stringent requirements. So what exactly are we doing? Right? And we don't have, we don't know the program, by the way, right? 100%. <laughs> So what are the loads? Nobody's getting bored. <laughs> yeah, that's already a complicated thing to figure out at the beginning because it affects everything, right? It affects your skin system and right. the amount of insulation and, and, and the, you know, all the thermal bridging design. It all plays into how this thing works, you know, window wall ratios and various things that are important as well. And we have to know the program. And we have, so we're all pushing everybody in parallel at this point, right? We're working with the interiors teams and, and, the, and the facilities teams and our office group to understand how how this really needs to work and laid out and where we can position the, the offices and the conference rooms, et cetera, that will be in the space. What does a foot, what does a program look like on the ground floor, which is interesting program on that ground floor that was all open and required us to, you know, of course do a transfer structural transfer to keep that opening and for the color virtual room down there. So we had a lot of requirements that sort of demanded that the building be designed kind of contrarian. So we had to say, okay, you, you have to, 
have the central system, but we can't run everything centrally <laughs> because we have this big transfer system, transfer structural transfer down on the, you know, the ground floor. And so the MEPs have to be done in a certain way. You know, then we were looking at loads. So I mean, I guess it was it was a combination of things that happen at once, as you know, as architecture and design. It's just it's really thinking about this complicated problem, and it's like a Rubik's cube. You turn one side, and the other side is out of order, and you got to whack and turn that side, and the other side's out of order. So you have to sort of move this towards solving the Rubik's cube. Michael and I discussed some of the products used on this project. One of those was the unitized system which was key in the success of delivering the building on schedule. However, it brought unique challenges as well. You know, the glass and the glass delivery was, was clear this was only going to happen on a unitized system, the schedule, to make it work. And going with that system, you know, brings us some advantages and there are also some challenges associated with structure. We test for vibration. We do quite a few lab, laboratory buildings as well in our and so we're very sensitive about floor deflections and, and vibration and, and these loads. And so working with our structural engineers closely with the, and, and getting those fabricators on, on board early so they can really contribute in a way that is meaningful. So in other words, they're developing shop drawings off of our schematic slash design development, what you consider design development drawings, right? Right. They're not CDs and they don't have enough information for them to really build out their entire shop drawing. So how do you fill the gap, right? There's a huge risk for them to build something that doesn't fit. Right. And there's a, there's a big gap, there's a big risk for us for them designing something that doesn't fit or doesn't work or doesn't aesthetically work or doesn't function properly. So we, we know we have to have a really tight review process in place between the envelope team so that we're, we're having the same waterproof roofer envelope, you know, curtain wall, metal panel wall assembly team, two different teams, and the architecture design and engineering teams, kind of all on the same page, right? And our, and our waterproofing design. So that, that whole process had to be fairly meticulous so that we could push those shop modeling process and shop drawings, of course, forward well beyond their, you know, like, we're not ready. You're like, yes, you're ready. You're ready to do <laughs> the drawings. We have to proceed, right? There's a certain time in which you, you need to move forward to get these things fabricated and in the shop. It's just a matter of getting people and people together to in the same room to, to work through and, and really make decisions, hard decisions sometimes, and then understand where the tolerances are so that we could either make some adjustments later. So you have an office building where people need to work right next to a stadium where there's football games and concerts and I'm sure all, all of the other sporting events. What did you do about noise and, because you, you said there's a lot of glass, so noise and privacy for the, the people who have to work in this building. Because not every event is at night after people are done working for the day. And I'm sure that some of these people are using that office building even during football games or concerts or whatever, because they have these events to put on. I can't even fathom how you, I don't like a lot of noise when I'm working. So I want to know, how did you, what did you do to this building to make whatever's going on in that stadium right there, not be grossly invasive to the people that have to work in that building? It's a great question. I mean, it really com it comes down to 
isolation from us. It was clear, you know, we were we were right on the stadium. We had many connection points. Right. So, and we had actually a very complicated building joint on this project because it was it was not just a linear like we'll just linear slice this um, downside. We had we're meeting the project on the building on two sides, so we had a building joint that had complicated really wrap a, a corner and then change its orientation from the horizontal to the vertical in several locations. And uh, that made the building joint quite complicated, and we had very tight tolerances. So, so it was that was very challenging. Uh, we definitely had you know relied on things like laser scanning to get existing conditions perfect and as perfect as we could. Right. And then you know still work with the field and the great construction team, great field team, and an ex- excellent designers to to sort of roll with the punches and say, okay, we're going to have to adjust. We're going to have to move it over here a little bit, and you know figure out how how we can isolate this from. The system, you know, structurally isolate them clearly, but you know, and then we have acoustic isolation as well with various doors, portals, that sort of thing. But we have there's standards for acoustics that that the team is, you know, for for certain offices are very very high. So our STC ratings are pretty high, and we have to pay it extra attention on that part. So beyond just core shell and the interiors teams are working on that, it's really discussing okay, exactly what are the what do you need for these offices? Like, and what do you need for these offices? So we had to go down a little bit. Wasn't just oh this for everybody. It had to be fine tuned a bit because there were some folks in the offices that were very sensitive to noise. Did you do anything at all with the enclosure, the glass, to help mitigate that, or was it most of that sound control done on the interiors? Most of it was, I think, was done on the interiors. I don't believe we have anything special for acoustics on the glass. Not like fifty inches of insulation, or <laughs> yeah, no. So it was you know running, running up through the stud doing. You know, a staggered stud system broken, but we did we didn't go crazy with that with subfloors or anything. But it's also you know it is in a stadium, so you do expect some noise. <laughs> You're gonna yeah, well yeah, obviously we're not trying to create a, an operating room in next to the stadium. That would be kind of silly in this case, but but I, but I think you could, of course, if you want you went down that route. But what wasn't that wasn't in the requirements for this building. When I walk into a complex or campus that has evolved over time and has building additions, I personally find it uncomfortable if the addition feels like a foreign object or appendage that's been tacked onto the original building. I think that's a piece that people underestimate, that ability to make it seem like it's been there all along. That's what Michael, SGA, and the team achieved here in a very short amount of time, I might add. The craft group office project seamlessly blends into the original design of Gillette Stadium through advanced planning, collaboration, the strategic use of technology, an effective design, experienced owner, and a dedicated team, SGA substantially completed the build by the Patriots' first preseason game in August 2022, just six months after it broke ground. That's pretty incredible. Of course, no project goes without a few lessons learned. What would you say was your biggest lesson that you learned from this project or that based on what you learned of getting this one done, if somebody came to you, like say some really cool team like the Dallas Cowboys came to you and said, now we want an office building in the same time. I had to squeeze it in there somewhere. I just had to. I know you did. What would you do differently on the next one? Or what was your biggest lesson learned that will take, you'll be even better on the next one, even if this one was great, that will make the next one even better? 
I think we often delay certain decisions because initial cost. It's like, you know, let's push that off. You know, that might be an option, but when you have really tight timelines and there's no opportunity to go back, very little, the risk reward profile for certain types of costs spent up front, you know, changes. So you the foundation system for on this building, one of the decisions was, oh, should we actually add more floors to the building? And that kind of came up in the process. And we said, let's continue as if we had four floors, right? So we continue as we have four floors, we'll design the foundations and we design everything go up from there. And and it turns out, actually, let's design it for two more floors to be added later. Okay. Oh, upsize columns, some things. Guess what? We have to revisit the footings. All right, now guess what? We have to redesign the footings. We're going to have to, at that point, this was down the road. We ended up having to, you know, widen those footings and do some extra work. And it would have been much more cost effective to have just done it the first time. Right. And say, look, what's the probability of that happening? And, and heed that. So one of the, one of our lessons learned is we, we keep a, what's called a risk register on our dashboard. And it's it's there to help you to look at all the potential pitfalls of this project. Right? What what do we need to jump over? And we we go at the beginning of the project, we'll have a set, and then the middle part of the project, we'll kind of we'll, we'll be like, okay, we're past all of these. Now maybe there's some new ones that we'll add. But we have a sign of probability score to those, which weights a couple of things like its impact on the project and its likelihood to occur. And then we have this you know, the final score. And we look at that and go, okay, something we need to deal with now or something we don't. And then we kind of come up with a rough plan afterward. Like if this happens, what are we going to do? And believe it or not, that just as an exercise going through that is really helpful for the team because they can then, they're comfortable when that occurs, they're not so shocked. It's like, we actually thought about this. We've worked as a team. We know we can figure this out. Right. As opposed to, oh my God, what do we do now? It's going to cost so much. Everybody's pulling hair out. So having having that in place is just psychologically helpful for the team, I think. I wish more teams would talk about risk right up front. Yeah. And what things could go wrong or what things have gone wrong on past projects. That's something you don't see a lot of firms do is that after the fact review, okay, how did this project go? What went right? What went wrong? And maybe look at all the change orders. And then, you know, maybe publish something for your whole company saying, you know, here's a critique of this project and some of the places that maybe we stumbled. Or we could have done this differently during design so this didn't happen during construction. The more that kind of knowledge is shared, the better everybody gets really fast. But if you don't, you know, that team over there is doing this and no, this team over here never hears about any of it. How do we learn from each other? Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. With Michael's role spearheading SGA's virtual design and construction arm, I had to know what he saw on the horizon as a truly game-changing innovation. What innovative changes in technology and construction do you think are going to be the game-changers in our immediately approaching? It's not 50 years from now, but the next two to 10 years. Pick your poison. (laughs) I think there's one. One. There's one thing. Okay. That's going to change us quite a bit. It already has. It already has. It's permeating our office, and it's really interesting, which is we're adding a team member. We're adding a new team member to our firm, to our teams, 
and this team member is extremely experienced, understands codes, types, design, and can contribute 24-7. And that is driven by artificial intelligence, AI. I knew it was coming. I knew it. I knew it. As soon as you started talking about this team member that knows all this stuff, it's like, okay, that's not a human being. So you really think that's going to be the thing that just, and this is just your opinion. Do you think that they can actually replace the people or do you think that it'll be there to enhance the people? Let's say in two years, it's definitely enhancing us. It's enhancing us today. Those teams who can wrap their arms around it and understand how to interact and use it, it's a very powerful tool. I tell people it makes good architects, probably great architects. So it's not replacing what we do. It doesn't have a holistic understanding of, of what we do. Right. But it has a very deep, very deep technical capability. And there's a latent space there that I think we're going to fill with all of everything that we do in our office. All of our the architecture, design, 3D, understanding 3D spaces is, is a leap that AI has to take. So it's not going to happen overnight, but we're using it in different levels of our, of our business today. Because even when we're, we write our own dashboard, right, we, we code that ourselves, we do our own tools that are building that are actually using, leveraging some of the AI tools to help us get there. And from business development side, things too, that people you've, you've probably heard, like copywriters are out of a business, right? They're out of jobs. Yeah, that's been the new hot, the hot thing. It's been all over Twitter about, you know, AI writing things and you're not going to need writers anymore. And but it's like just having this really huge technical brain sitting next to you, really. You can do the emotional part, that part that brings it all together, but yeah. pulling knowledge that no, no, at least not in our lifetimes, no human brain's ever going to have. Right. Just the breadth of its training set. You know, when you ask it a very domain-specific question, and I challenge everybody who has these questions, um, say, look, let's just look at a primitive example, which is kind of you know state-of-the-art today, which is actually GPT-3, but you could even do it on an earlier version if you use a chat interface, it's great. So you can, why don't you sit there and ask it a very specific question that you know something a lot about that probably not a lot of other people know. Go ahead, ask it. And, you know, usually you'll you'll find in people, they'll have certain weaknesses, right? They may have a strength here, but a weakness over here. And you can really tell if they're, right. you know, maybe not strong in this area or over here because you may know a lot more of them about what they're talking, what they think they're talking about in one area. Right. But if you jump in and, and so you do the same thing with AI, you do the same thing with this, you'll be pretty impressed. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, obviously it's not, it's not there, but just imagine when we have armies and armies and armies of software engineers coming out of school now, that's all they're doing. That has never happened in the history of mankind. They're all going to solve this problem very, very quickly. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michael. My hope is that this episode sparks a new idea, maybe helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires you to work toward the impact that you hope to have on this world on your personal journey to world domination. I guess I'd like to be perceived as a, as a person who didn't let the boundaries, you know, or status quo stop them from from making a positive impact, you know, on people's lives. And when we intervene and, in, you know, in, in architecture projects or something else, it, uh, one of the things, one of our goals is always like, let's, you know, make sure that we enjoy the process, enjoy the ride. We want to have another project together when this is all over, you know, and make the process 
better off. So I'd like to leave a project better than when I came on board. Right? Hopefully, it's 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 better off when I you know when I touch that. And I think I like to help the industry try to look at another a cultural shift. You know, just a, a move from the adversarial. You know. To, to something that's more symbiotic, something that's more of a holistic process that that works to improve itself. You know, we work we work to improve each other, and I think the sooner and the more that we you know that we do that, the, the better off we'll be, the happier we'll be, and the, the better projects we'll complete. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more. Visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.